So we're going to probably conclude our series. It's not about power, it's about wisdom. Uh, and, uh, probably conclude that today with some, some final remarks and then, then kind of some purposes behind it. Um, but if you would, notice, notice in 1 Timothy chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 17. It says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to study your word, that you've preserved it throughout the years and ages, that we can have it, we can handle it, we can study it. We can take those things that we study, apply them to everyday life, that we might come to a greater knowledge and appreciation of your word, that we might be to the praise and honor and glory of your grace. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> now, one of the things that we notice there about verse 17 says what? Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the, what's that next word? Only, right? The only wise God. So that's that issue that we've been looking at, right? So we talked about, we talked about, really, we, we, we went through a couple different things um, as, as we were going through some stuff, right? You've got wisdom according to the uppercase G God, right? But then there's also this wisdom that's according to that lowercase G God. Now, real quick, just as a reminder of some things, let's go back real quick to uh, let's go back to uh, Ezekiel twenty-eight, just to just to kind of remind ourselves of some things as we continue through. And we're not going to, you know, rehash all the same old stuff that we've had before. But I want us to kind of think of some things as we're going through this um, to get us to the point to what what we're what we're going to be able to finish up this this week. Notice in Ezekiel chapter twenty-eight. Um, if you look at verse 13, or let's start off in verse 12, um, really what, what this is, and we'll, we'll back up to something else here in a second, but notice verse 12, it says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum full of what? Wisdom. So he's talking, he's talking to this king of Tyrus. Now, one of the things that we've, spent some time on in the past is you've got this 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 realm up here uh, and then you've got this realm down here would be the earth right so what happens is you have you have these fallen angels and all that stuff is in that what we would consider the second heaven right you've got the earth around it's the first heaven up here is the second heaven and then the third heavens up here and this is just a rudimentary kind of of look so then, you've got this second heaven up here. That's where Satan and all the fallen angels are, right? It, scripture calls it the sea, all right? And we'll talk a little bit more about some of those things as we go through, but just kind of remind ourselves of some, some of that. So third heaven's up here. This is second heaven. First heaven's the atmosphere where the birds and, the, and, and all that stuff fly, okay? Um, something that we've done a long, long time ago. And I say that to say... Let's go back and study some of those things out because we're going we're to take a look at that, you know, within the next few weeks or so. Um, we're going to look at how all that structure is. So what happens is you've got, if you look at verse, verse 2 there, it says, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyrus. Now, there's, there's this issue of the prince of Tyrus, and then in verse 12, it's the king of Tyrus. 
right? So what this, what this really is, is he's dealing with, uh, really, it's the Antichrist. Here you've got the man of sin. You know when Paul says in, in 2 Thessalonians, he talks about the man of sin and the son of perdition? That's what he's dealing with here. So you've got the, the, prince, the prince of Tyrus is that man of sin. Verse 12, the king of Tyrus is that son of perdition. Where he, stand, where he sits in the temple, proclaims himself as God. Right? And he's kind of revealed as that son of perdition. Now, what do we notice about those? Verse 12 says he's what? He sealest up the sum and full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Well, if you look at verse 3, talking about the, the prince of Tyrus, he says, with thy wisdom and with thine understanding. I said verse 3, didn't I? Mm-hmm. Then I started reading verse 4, didn't I? All right, verse 3, let's try this again. Behold, thou art wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that they can hide from thee. With thy wisdom and with thy understanding, thou hast gotten thee riches and gotten gold and silver under thy treasures. Notice, by thy great wisdom. So what do we know about the prince of Tyrus? Is he's, he's got wisdom. That He's full of wisdom. In fact... He says what? Great wisdom. Also, we get over here to verse 12 and we find out that the king of Tyrus, which is still dealing with that, that Antichrist issue, is full of wisdom. All right? Now, what happens is, and we, we talked about this before, you remember, you remember in Daniel, when Daniel's praying for, for and, and 21 days, he waits for the angel to come and angel, angel Gabriel finally shows up after 21 days, right? And he says, I was hindered from coming because he's coming from the third heaven. He's going through this and he's fighting with one of these guys up here. He was hindered by one of those people up in those heavenly places. Now, this is where we're going to finish up today. It's going to be important to this. So he's, he's up here and it's, he says, Michael came... And he was the one that allowed me to actually come down here and see you, Daniel. Right? We, we, we've gone through that and some of those things. And if you're not familiar with that, then let us know when we talk about that. But there's, there's that issue that there's a corresponding person there to a corresponding person down here on earth. And we talked the last time about the reason why the world seems a mess is because that up there is a mess. Scripture tells us that the heavens are are not good, right? They're unclean in God's sight. And the reason why is because you get those guys, those fallen angels that are there. Now, that'll be something that we get to a little bit later on. But notice, there's great wisdom, wisdom, full of wisdom. But here's the problem. Verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, Topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle and gold. The workmanship of thy tablets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways. Now, when you start thinking about how he's dealing with this, he's saying, you used to be perfect. But what's happened? Notice, 
Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. Well, if you drop down to verse 17, what I want us to think about is, verse 17, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom. So what do we know about Satan's wisdom is it's what? It's corrupted. All right? So here you've got a corrupted wisdom and that's the wisdom that he goes to the other angels and says i'm going to give you some stuff i'm going to give you places i'm going to set my i'm you know you go to isaiah 14 you see those i wills he says i will ascend above the throne of god and i will ascend above the stars and i will be like the most high and what we went back to genesis is we found out that it says that the most high god is what possessor of heaven and earth so when he says, I will be like the Most High, he's saying, I'm going to take it all. And he goes and he sells that to angels. And a bunch of them buy it. And then God creates hell. And that completely stops the rebellion. Now, when we talk about hell in a few weeks or so, when we go through that series, that'll be kind of, kind of connect those things up. So kind of keep that in mind as we move forward. So then, what we have there is... You've got, he sells that to those people. God says, I'm going to stop the rebellion. I'm going to create hell for the devil and his angels. Matthew tells us that, right? And again, we'll talk about that stuff again. So, what do we know about this wisdom? Perfect. Not corrupted. This wisdom is corrupted. Well, again, go back to Genesis chapter 3. And again, this is just kind of a reminder of, of some things to, to get us to the point. And if you're lost, that's okay. Type it in the GPS and we'll get you caught up eventually, right? Uh, now, the bad thing is, is uh, like for you all especially, like you're coming in on message five or six of the series, you're like, oh, I don't know what's going on, but I'm trying to get us to where we're going, all right? I'm sure some of this stuff you all have heard before. So. Um, notice in Genesis chapter 3, we, we kind of went over some of this stuff last week, and I want to remind ourselves... Of, of what's going on. When Satan shows up in the garden, what kind of wisdom does he have? It's corrupted. Right? So, notice what's going on here. This is, you know, there's, there's a lot of parallels you could take. What do you know about a corrupted wisdom? What's the first thing corrupted wisdom does? It questions God's Word. And that's exactly what Satan does, Right? Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. So what's the first thing he does is he questions God's Word. That's what corrupted wisdom does. By the way, you know we talk about it all the time. The corrupted versions of the Bible, it's coming from that wisdom. Just kind of throw that out there, right? kind of keep those things in mind when you look at that stuff you think okay well where did that start what started here in Genesis 3 notice and the woman said unto the serpent here's the interesting part and we, we talked about this last week and I want to I want to make sure that we we get this again notice what happens when Satan questions Eve on what God's word actually says verse 2 and the woman said unto the serpent we may Eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Now pause there real quick. 
Is that what God said? No. No. There's a word she left out, right? That word freely. We know that we're justified freely. That was one of the verses that we read earlier, right? Being justified freely. Now, one of the things we talked about last week is, what's interesting is, what goes along with freely is grace. So it's interesting, the first thing that goes after he questions God's Word was what? She kicks out grace. Isn't that interesting? But notice what happens. The very next thing is, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, what's she do there? Did God say that? He said he didn't say not to touch it, right? So what's she doing? She's adding to it. But what is it that she's adding? Works. So she he she had because Satan's questioned what God's word says. She's taken out grace and she's replaced it with a work. Then we look around and we're like, okay, that's why all other churches are the way they are. Is they take grace out and then they say, okay, let's put law in. Right? It's either, all right, you're saved by grace, but you've got to keep it and you've got to prove that you're saved and show everybody else that you're saved by doing stuff. Or they'll just say, well, we'll forget all that stuff. You have to work to get saved and then have to work to stay saved work to keep it and all that stuff. All that goes back to Genesis 3. And it's all based off of that right there. Right? Notice. And the serpent said unto the woman, well, let's, let's get this, last, this other part that she said, neither shall ye touch it, what? Lest ye die. Did, he, did God say, no, nah, you might die. No, He says, thou shalt surely. Right? So, She's watering down what God said because if you change what God said, then what can you do is you can say whatever you want to about it. Verse, verse 4, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. He's completely flat out denies what God's Word says. Right. So what happens is, Satan shows up with this corrupted wisdom and what comes out of it is a law system, really, that's replacing... This grace that they had. But not only that, notice this, verse 5. And I want you to think, this wisdom compared to this wisdom. This wisdom says what? For God doth know that in the day that ye eat, in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as God's what? You're going to have the same wisdom as those gods up there. Those fallen angels. Right? So what does that mean that Adam and Eve might, should be able to do? Is They're probably seeing all these, all these lowercase little g gods, right? Because he's saying there's something that these people know, not people, but these angels, there's something that these gods know that God's trying to hide from you. Now, I've always said the very first Calvinist in Scripture was Satan because that's what Calvinists do. Is we don't know what God's doing. You just don't know. You just got to wait and see and hope that it works out. And if it works out, then that's what God wanted. And if it don't work out, then that's not what God wanted. Except unless He wanted you to suffer because He wants to do something to prove that you're not suffering. It's just the whole, it's a whole mess. Um, 
But that's what this is. And notice, notice what it is that he does. Verse 6, what's the result of it? And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So what happens is Satan sells that wisdom to those angels that fall, but then he also sells that exact same wisdom, which is corrupted, to Adam and Eve. And we've said before, you know, it's one of those statements, Satan, Satan was one of the best evangelists ever because he converted half the population, and then that half went and converted the other half. Just by simply saying, are you sure that's what God said? And then question it and go on through there. But what he's doing is he's selling to Adam and Eve a position of rank and authority. Because that's what he's that's what he was giving to those guys. Now, <clears throat> one of the things we've talked about before is Satan knows that he can't create his own heaven and earth and step into it. That's why we say it's not about power. The, the issue there is if you can create something, you're powerful. If you can't, then you're not. Satan and all those angels know that they can't create their own heaven and earth to step in and to rule over. So he comes up with this wise idea and says, I'm going to take over what God's doing. You know, and we talked about it before, when, when you look at the throne room of God, you've got four cherubim on each of the corners. So that would be looking from the top. If you look from the side, you've also got a cherub that's covering the throne of God. That was Satan's position. He was the anointed cherub that covereth. So you've got four cherub on each of the corners of the throne. And then you got the anointed cherub that covereth. You've got Satan above the throne of God. And of course, his, his thought process, his pride, his beauty, all that stuff, he's up here, he says, I'm the top dog. I'm going to do, I'm going to take all this that God has. And he knows he can't do it by power, so he tries to do it by wisdom. And what's happened to his wisdom, notice, no, go back to Ezekiel 28. <clears throat> Because I want us to see this because this is a really interesting thing because one of the things that I've been asked, and I don't know if you all have been asked this or not, have you ever been asked, if God knew what Satan was going to do, why would He have created him? Right? So then what that is, is that's a, it's kind of a Calvinistic type of, well, you know, if God really knows everything in His sovereignty, why would He allow whatever? But notice this in 28 verse 17. Notice, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Notice, thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. Do you know what that means? Satan chose of his own free will to corrupt his wisdom. God didn't choose that he did that. God didn't before the foundation of the world say, I'm going to create Satan. I'm going to make his wisdom become corrupt and all that. He says, Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy beauty or thy brightness. 
And he says, I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Now, there, there's a whole bunch of other stuff in there that, that, that we've gone to and, and looked at. Um, one of the things that we've also looked at is the fact that um, going to Colossians chapter 2. One of the other things that we looked at was the fact that when we go back and look at Daniel, the interesting thing about that he's wiser than Daniel is because God reveals to Daniel a secret. Right? He, he reveals to him the secret. Uh, uh, really, he reveals to him the secret of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and the, inter- and the interpretation of it. So when Nebuchadnezzar has the dream, he says, um, I want somebody to interpret my dream for me. And all the, all the people around him say, well, tell us what the dream is and we'll interpret it. He says, no, I want you to tell me what my dream is, then tell me the interpretation. Because if you know something, you know, I had a dream the other night and I was like, you know, if I took this to somebody that like interpreted dreams, who knows what they would say about it, but I would like to be able to go and do like he did and say, well, tell me what my dream was and then tell me the interpretation because you can interpret however you want to. Um, and then what people do is they'll pay money for that and they'll say, oh man, that's awesome or hey, that's bad and whatever it is. So, it's really kind of a smart thing that Nebuchadnezzar said, tell me what my dream was and then. And so then God reveals to Daniel. So the issue there is God revealed to Daniel a secret. One of the things that Satan's boast was is you can't keep a secret from me. And what we read in, in Ezekiel was is that they can't hide a secret from him. But God did, right? Uh, we're in Colossians chapter 2, right? <clears throat> Notice this, Colossians chapter 2. Uh, start off here in verse 14. Of course, of course, Paul's dealing with the fact that we're completing Christ and we're buried with Him by baptism, arisen and, and dead in sins, and we're quickened together with Him. Um, verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to, to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, to His cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers. Well, that brings us up to an issue when we talk about principalities and powers. Right? So who are those? We'll take a look at that in a second. But what's he do? Having spoiled principalities and powers. And so one of those things we talk about when you look at that word spoiled, the, the, the idea behind spoiled there is, we mentioned it last time, there was actually one of, the, one of the gentlemen that was here, he was in the army. And what's the saying? To the victor go the spoils. So what happens is, when Christ dies on the cross, he defeats Satan in all that angelic realm. And all those positions that they had are now His to do what He wants to with. Not just up there, but here on earth. We'll take a look at that. But that's this issue, He says, in having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. The it, there's the cross. So what happens is, we talked about this before, if you go over to 1 first, first, uh, first Corinthians chapter 2, um, we'll see this. We'll see this. Clearly as well. What God did before the foundation of the world, His wisdom said, 
what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die for, a, for the people that I've created. He says, I'm going to die for them. That was his wisdom. You know, we, we've talked about it a lot. Corrupted wisdom is I want, I will, me. You ever thought about that? You, know, you look out in the world and that's what most of it is. And of course, like, you know, you all remember MySpace? Anybody here remember MySpace? A couple people? All right. Mine's probably still up. I don't know what's on it anymore. I've forgotten my login. So it was the precursor to like Facebook and all that stuff, right? I think it was a lot better, but anyway. Um, still, it was a mess because it was all about me. Well, this wisdom says what? It's not about me, but it's about others. That's the big difference between those wisdoms. Wisdom that we see, you know, the Ephesians chapter 2, the course of this world. That's this. Yeah. So, I remember you speaking before about wisdom, that wisdom is like the knowledge you have and how you put it into action. Like, how you... Um, but, the, like, mm, I can't put it into words. You're good. Let's see if I can do that for wisdom you. Wisdom is what you know and you're putting it into action or something like that. All right. Yeah, application, yeah. Of knowledge. That's so knowledge is you know stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So this is a good idea because I was going to do this probably in a few weeks anyway. So knowledge is what we know, mm -hmm. right? So you can read books and you can look, you can you can do math, whatever. If you learn how to do it, you know it. Um, but then you have understanding. All right. So one of the things that I always use is I know how a guitar is played. You've got chords, you've got fingers, you put them in a certain spot, and you've got any strum. Either that or you can pick it, pick it. I know how that works. I don't understand how to play it. You see the difference there? Now, wisdom, it, one of the first things I want to say, and this is what we talked about before, understanding is the spiritual prerequisite to wisdom. If you don't know something, you don't understand something, then you can't use it at the right time. Well, you can't use it correctly, all right? So wisdom is doing something the right way. Now, the other thing with that is you have to have knowledge, you have to have understanding before you can get to wisdom. And then Paul also brings up this issue of prudence. Prudence is doing the right thing at the right time. Okay? So you've got knowledge, knowing something. Understanding is, okay, I know something, I'm going to go use it. Wisdom says, I'm going to use it at, I'm going to use it correctly. Prudence says, I'm going to use it correctly at the right time. Right? So, I know how to play a guitar. I can't do it. And I know the best thing for me not to do is to go play it. Try to play it in public. And I'm not going to do it in the middle of a funeral. Right? I'm not going to go blah, 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 all that stuff in the middle of the funeral because the prudence says, don't do this at this time. So the interesting thing about that wisdom, you know, we see this over and over again. So with that wisdom is it's doing the right thing based on a knowledge and understanding. 
If you go back and read Proverbs, you'll see all four of those a lot. And it's interesting because there's points where it says, I, wisdom, do something. Right? So when you look at those things, that's that issue. Prudence, again, is doing the right thing at the right time. Um, So that brings us to another point. When was... So God's wisdom had some knowledge and some understanding based on what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit decided to do before the foundation of the world. Right? So then God says, we know that we're going to do something. Wisdom says, we know how to do it. And prudence says, we're not going to reveal about the cross until after the cross has taken place. We know when to do it. Huh? Prudence says we know when. We know when to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you think about you think about what's going on. God kept a secret from Satan. That is knowledge that Satan did not have. So he couldn't understand it because he didn't have knowledge of it, and his wisdom is minus that secret. Does that make sense? Does Satan know that God will one day reclaim the earth? He's known that the whole time. That was the whole purpose of putting man on it. When God put Adam on the, when God put Adam on the earth, He said, "What? Subdue it, have dominion over it. I want to set you, Adam, as king on earth." And He gave up a kingdom for a grape. And you're like, and then we've paid for it ever since. But God says, my wisdom has a secret that I'm going to keep secret until the cross actually happens. That's this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 5. Verse 4. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world. That's this. Nor of the princes of this world. That come to what? You know what that's going to come to one day? Nothing. Not. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world, here's the best part, unto our glory. You ever thought about that? He's done this unto our glory. Well, who's going to get glorified out there in the ages to come is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But He's saying, we're doing this for our glory, for us. Verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So this act was prophesied, the death, burial, and resurrection was prophesied. But the purpose behind the cross was kept secret. So then, that brings us to those issues right there. Again, did, did Satan know that God was going to put man on earth to have dominion over it and to reign over it? Yes. Did, God, did Satan know that God was going to eventually do something to give Himself back the earth? Yes. 
prophesied from Genesis chapter 3. But what Satan didn't know is that God also had the plan through this to take back those positions that the angels had. So, go to Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1. Now, there is a lot of misunderstanding on some things out there in Christendom, even even grace, unfortunately. Um, specifically surrounding that, that issue of reconciliation, and that's what he's talking about in these. When you talk about reconciliation, there's something there that I don't know if we'll get to it this week, probably next week when we're going through Timothy, when we talk about grace, mercy, and peace. When we talk about that mercy, that's that's the key to understanding the whole issue of reconciliation. Um, there's some wild ideas out there, but what happens is people will take, um, for instance, the verses in Colossians one, and they'll they'll put it on on all people, and that's not what he's talking about in the context. And we'll see that as we go through. But that's just kind of a fore, foretaste of probably next week in, in Timothy. But notice here, um, Ephesians chapter one verse. 20. He's talking about the, the, the working of His mighty power in verse 19, which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places. By the way, if you go on down to chapter 2, He says that He has set us with Christ. He set us and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places with Christ. So, there's something there that we need to make sure that we pay attention to. Notice in verse 21, where are these heavenly places that He's been set at His own right hand? Far above principalities, we've already got that one, and powers, and what? Might. Might. And dominion. And what? Name. Every, every name that's named, not only in this world, but in that world which is to come. So what happens is you've got these positions of rank and authority that God has set up out there and in here. Now we get to see it because we vote for president every four years. Maybe. Um, maybe you don't. I don't know. Maybe somebody votes for you. I don't know. Is that how it works now? I think so. I think. Anyway, I won't get into that. <coughs> Back up. Beep, beep. Anyway. So we know how that works. We vote for local government, right? We understand mayors, and they've got people under them. And then you've got governor, you've got people under them, you've got uh, senators, and then all this stuff. You've got presidents, you've got kings in other countries, whatever it may be. There's a system that's set up that God says, I'm going to set this up. And originally, when, when government was first created by God in Genesis, it was to protect your free will, your marriage, and your family. That's the purpose of government. Government's not... Well, again, I won't get into that stuff. Colossians chapter 1. We'll leave that one on too. Government's not supposed to control our Government is not supposed to control any of that stuff outside... Yeah. Alright. I'm going to digress. 
Colossians chapter 1. Verse 15. Now, what I want us to think about is, he's talking about Jesus Christ in verse 14. Verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God. So Christ in His flesh, He was the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Notice, for by Him were all things created. Now, that's not Genesis 1.1. And that's not Genesis 1 all the way through. That's not what He's talking about there. There's something else there that He's talking about that's created by Christ. Notice, for by Him were all things created that are in what? Heaven and earth. Visible and invisible. We can see these. We can't see that up there. But what do we know is up there matches what we've got down here. What's interesting is, do you remember when Paul... I'm going to run out of time. But anyway, you remember when Paul goes up to the third heaven and he says, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. Do you know why? Because he walked into a place that looked just like where he was. He recognized that third heaven to match exactly what he had on earth. He said, I couldn't tell you if I was in the body or out of the body. I, I witnessed it and I dealt with it just the same way as I would if I was back on earth. He said, I, w- I couldn't tell you if I was in, in, in the body or not. He was there. And it felt like he, it felt like he was here still on earth. Obviously, there's some, a big major difference, but that's the issue. When he goes to the third heaven... What we have down here on earth is a pat is patterned after what's in heaven. So what we see here on earth is a pattern reflecting of what we see in the heaven, which is why we talk about the prince and the king of Tyrus up here. Because there's a prince and a king of Tyrus down here. There's there's a matching to those two things. Always has been, always will be. But here here's the thing. He says, visible and invisible, whether they be what? Thrones. That was not on here. Thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. What? All things were created by him and for him. What are the all things in the context? Is that Genesis 1? No, it's these things. There's a governmental structure that God created for those two realms. Notice, and, and He is before all things. Well, what's the all things? All those positions of rank and authority. And by Him all things consist. What are the all things? Those positions of rank and authority. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all fullness dwell. Well, that should make you think of Colossians 2, 9, right? In Him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And having made peace through the blood of His cross by, by, by Him to what? What's that next word? Reconcile. All things. Well, what's the all things? These positions in heaven and in earth. What's it mean to reconcile? To bring back into peace. And really what he's doing is he's changing the status of it. You know, when, when Paul talks about in Romans chapter 5, <clears throat> it says when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. He changed your status from being an enemy to a friend. 
So he's going to change their status by kicking them out. And then he's going to take the members of the body of Christ and put us in those positions of rank and authority. Now when does that take place? <coughs> well, they're kicked out in the middle of the tribulation period. So if you order a revelation real quick. The whole, the whole purpose, you know, what, oftentimes people are like, well, what's the purpose? What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? It's this. Our, our, our purpose here is to get this so that we'll function properly out there. I kind of think of our life now as a dress rehearsal for eternity. What are we doing now? This book's the issue and always has been, always will be, right? Should be. So then what we're going to be able to do out there is we're going to be able to function the way that God's designed us to function. In some position, notice, notice in in, in um, Revelation chapter twelve. Um, start off in verse seven. When we were up at the conference um, in in Chicago, uh, they did a Q and A panel. They didn't they didn't record it or do it live, um, but. Uh, Brother Jordan came by and he put a piece of paper on my Bible. He's like, you want to be part of the Q&A? And kind of starts to walk off. Didn't even let me answer. He starts to walk off and then he stops and pats me on the back and says, good luck. And so one question was, who's the man child in chapter 12, verse 5 of Revelation? Uh, then it was also another one was, explain Revelation chapter 6. I'm like, do you have about three and a half weeks? We can talk about Revelation 6. So it was kind of interesting. He's like, well, good luck. But I gave, I gave my outline for Rome, or Revelation chapter 6, so hopefully that helped. And then we talked about who that man-child was. Uh, but notice, at the end of chapter, chapter 12, verse 6, you've got the 1,203 score days. That's going to be middle of that tribulation period. Uh, after that, uh, uh, the little flock is going to... They're going to, they're going to go out to, to, uh, to the wilderness to be fed. Verse 7, it says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. That right there is when, in the middle of the tribulation period, all these guys are going to be cast out of their positions, and they're not going to have their position anymore. <coughs> and it says, yeah, and there, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. They no longer had that position anymore. So now you've got a void for those positions of rank and authority. Well, fortunately for us, we go into the rapture, we got the judgment seat of Christ, where we're taken before Jesus Christ, and he says, okay, so what you're gonna do is you're gonna go here, and you're gonna go here, and you're gonna fill those positions of rank and authority. So when we talk about this, when we go through this stuff, this wisdom not only is to gain back the heaven, but also gain back the heavens. And Satan had no idea that that's what God was going to do. 
So when we think about when we think about this 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 particular wisdom <clears throat> that God puts forth, what He's doing is He's saying, "I'm not only going to take your place." By the way, when Satan shows up to Christ and he says, and he's tempting him, he says, "Bow down to me, and I'll give you all these kingdoms." Did Jesus say, "You don't own those kingdoms"? He didn't say that. Why? Because he had control of them. Adam gave control over the world to Satan back in the garden. Well, what's going to happen is Christ knows that he's going to get that back through his death, burial, and resurrection. But also, he knows I'm also going to take your positions over here. And you're going to be left with nothing. You want to get, huh? Prudence. Prudence. And I'm going to wait until the right time. When, when Paul talks about, when Paul talks about that issue of in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. You know, we talked about last week when, when you go over to Timothy and he talks about God our Savior. <clears throat> he talks about God the Savior of the world, right? That means it's unto all. Everybody has access to it. But who actually gets it? Those that actually believe. He's saying he's the God, he's the Savior of all, especially to those that believe. So he says, I'm going to make it possible for everybody, which is not true prior to Romans. Acts 9, technically, but prior to Romans, you don't have that. You ever thought about the fact that you know, we talked about this last week with First Timothy. Have you ever thought about the fact that you never had an apostle until Paul came along as a Gentile? You had no right to one until Paul came along. It's an interesting fact. But when we talk about the power, Satan's power, he can't create his own heaven and earth to rule over. But what's going to happen is through God's wisdom, because Satan tried to, Satan's corrupted wisdom was going to say, well, I'm going to try and take it, take what God's already created away. And God said, all right, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to keep a secret and I'm going to take back all of it. And that's that idea of him making a show of them openly. The whole world saw it. <laughs> they can go and read it. And that's the, that's the last thing that a prideful person wants is to be shown up publicly. Not only that, but to be reminded of it every time somebody reads that book and preaches that book, rightly divided. That's the only way that you're going to see that stuff. But, <clears throat> um, there are a lot of other things. A lot of other things that we could have gone into, but I think that's a pretty good place to stop. So.